0: Hey ninjas and ninjets and welcome to another episode of the Exposure Ninja Digital Marketing Podcast. My name is Tim Cameron-Kirchen, I'm a best-selling digital marketing author and I run an agency in the UK called Exposure Ninja. This show is all about helping you to generate more leads and sales through your website. And in this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Chris Ma. Chris runs Content Marketing Academy and he also runs an event called CMA Live. Chris has come onto the show today to talk about how he gets people into his events. And little secret, he's not paid a penny in advertising while he's paid less than like 40 pounds in advertising. He doesn't use paid ads at all to get people into an event, which if you tried promoting an event, you know this is not an easy thing to do. So he takes us behind the scenes of how he's getting people into those events and also how he's built up his membership. Really interesting if you run a consultancy or a service business, how he's used a membership to kind of scale what he offers one to many. It's simplified his business, simplified his life. And he's loving the numbers as well so he takes us behind the scenes on that and explains how to fill a membership anyway really interesting guy fantastic chat i hope you get a ton of value from it and sign up to the waiting list for cma live don't forget if you want any help with your digital marketing particularly if you want to generate more leads and sales from your website you're unhappy with the number of sales that you're generating from your site then we can help you free of charge my company Exposure ninja offers a service we'll take a look at your website we'll have a look at what you're doing to market and promote it And we'll identify the areas where you might be blocking conversion prohibiting people from converting and turning into customers unknowingly we'll also have a look at what your competitors are doing and say okay so you might be able to exploit this gap that they're leaving you might want to copy this thing that they're doing because they're getting really good results we'll take all of this information we'll put it into a 20 minute video which we will custom record for you we will email it over to you within two to three working days if you're interested head over to exposure ninja.com forward slash review that's exposure ninja.com forward slash review do it now. is probably the best marketing action that you can take this month, and I promise you're going to absolutely love it. Anyway, without further ado, here's Chris Mar. Welcome to the show, Chris.
1: I'm pleased to be here, man. I'm really pleased to share.
0: Yeah, whatever. Let's do it. Let's do this. I'm <laughs> well, excited. Look, you've grown a content marketing academy, and... One of the main things that you do is the events, right? Perhaps you could take us back to before the before the event happened, uh, before the event was a thing. What was your business before you did it? And why did you decide to add the live events in?
1: Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And no, I appreciate the uh, taking the time out to to talk about this subject. So I, think I really believe in it. Something we've done from the very start is the live event thing. Um, you know, really quickly, I think the best place to start with this is like, I'm 35 years old just now, but back when I was 19 was when I first started my, that was my first real job. And when I was 19 years old, one of the first things I remember really shaking in my new work shoes with uh, a pack of, acid, I don't know if you remember acetates, those plastic sheets you used to put on light boxes that would project onto the wall. That was what we used for our training packs back in like, uh, I don't know what year it was, 2001. I mean, it's ridiculous, right? Even in in 2001, it's crazy. But in a large organization, this was the training packs that we had to use. My boss said to me, go and teach or go and train the staff in fire safety or health and safety or something like that. I was like, I don't know anything about this subject. But what we had to do every single year was about eight or 10 subjects were mandatory training in our organization. So that was just like from the very start, I was like in front of an audience doing workshops and facilitating. I was terrible at it to begin with. And then I was put through some formal training. So it's kind of been like, you know, looking back on it now, Tim, looking back in the business over the last five years, there's no surprise that one of the first things that we did when we first established our business was to put on a workshop, right, and facilitate learning around marketing and content and all that, all, all that stuff. So that was that's been there for a very long time for me. But I think the shift was there's a couple of transitions actually, and it was really important. I think we 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 did this live event, and it was for about I think there was about forty people there in the beginning, and we called it the Content Marketing Academy. Right. And it's important to note that the business wasn't called that at the time. That was just what this event was called. And it's kind of like a test. I was thinking to myself, um, the first thing I wanted to do was maybe do a conference or a seminar just for bloggers. But then I had this sort of like big idea where I was like, actually, content isn't just blogs, it's videos, it's poly- it's whatever we want to talk about every year, right? At Our event, whatever that event might be. So it started off really small, but with kind of like big ambitions. And what actually, what happens between... September 2014 and September 2015 was that my audience and the people that were at the event really started to grow around this this idea, which was really just one of our services. And they started to really sort of like uh, find a common ground in like this philosophy around this culture of content marketing. So, you know, we started a Facebook group called the Content Marketing Academy. And eventually, you know we fast forward about 18 months or so, and we changed the name of the business to the Content Marketing Academy or CMA for short now. And we have this annual event that we have well every year, obviously, and our fifth one, our fifth one is next year. But we also run other live events too, workshops, and we have another big live event every year called World Class Communication, which is really for schooling. Uh, it's WCC Live, is what it's called, and that's for schooling professional speakers. So we have live events has become it's become something significant in our calendar. I think it's become even more significant now that we've moved from an agency client services business to a membership organization where people like I don't see my customers all that often and having a live event is a really good excuse there's loads of reasons why to have a, why have a live event but one of them is to have all of your customers in the room at least once a year interacting with each other speaking with each other getting to meet each other and making friends with each other so the live events become a really really important part of our business there'll be a bunch of
0: people listening who've had a live event or they've tried a live event and as I'm sure you can agree, it's not easy to fill a room full of people. So, hmm. when when you started the live event, how did you how did you fill like how do you put those bums on seats? How do you fill it?
1: Like? Yeah, so the very first one is all oh, my friends were there, right? So <laughs> it's like you just got to call in, you got to call in favors, man, and and got to get people in the room. So I think. Even out of the 40 people that were in the room on that very first year, which was tiny, it's like almost like a workshop. I think we sold something like 26 or 27 tickets. So 13 people that were there were really just my friends and table hosts and speakers. And out of the 27 people that bought tickets, they were already established friends or in my closer network and business. And they wanted to support what I was doing. And I think out of those 26 or 27 people, I think maybe 10 or 15 of them are still customers now, you know, four, four years on or so, or three years on now. And, um, I think that kind of, that's, that's a, that's a good sign obviously as well, but it started off really small and it started off by attracting the closest people to have always been, you know, if we had more time, we could talk about that, but the network has been an absolute, has been so significant in the build of, in the growth of our business. I mean, we talk about content marketing and that's our big thing, but the network of people that we've built has been has 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 fueled that whole thing. Like they come to the event, they talk to other people about it, they uh they get their friends to come along, you know, that sort of thing. And they're buying tickets for the events every single year. So the event for us is really our opportunity to blow them away and get them to come back next year and the year after that. We're looking at you know what we call a customer for life or customer continuity. We want our customers to keep coming back to us every single year. For it might not be the event hopefully it will be, but it might be membership or it might be something else entirely. So the marketing is like, we've never paid for a single penny of advertising, right? In the last four or five years, hand on heart, we have spent a, like the the most ridiculous, amount, like insignificant amount of money on paid ads, right? I'm talking about Facebook ads or, or even just traditional advertising. It's never, ever been part of our strategy. I think I paid a bill last month or two months ago for a Facebook of £33 or something like that, right? And we did it last minute to see if it would make any difference. And honestly, a lot of our, all of our customers come through content marketing, uh, our network growth, and our ability to kind of get people talking about what we we do. So another example of that would be off the back of uh, CME Live this year, CME Live 17. We had over 30 blog articles written from the people in the room to tell, they were basically, you know, telling their audience about the experience that they had at our event. You can't, we well, can't pay for that. We didn't even ask them to do that. They just did it. And I think that's an important thing to recognize as well, is that all of that stuff's happening, you know, for free and we're not having to pay for any of it. And they, they, they want to talk about it. So having something, first of all, having something good or great, but some, having something remarkable that people want to talk about, I think it's got to be the first step, right? Because, you know, you can market something poor, every single year and just get lots and lots of new customers until you run out. Or you can have the same people coming back and bringing their friends with them every single year and talking about it, you know, all year about your events. So I feel like that's the most significant part of what we do is to build something great that people will talk about and share with their friends first. And then if we need to do additional marketing on top of that or advertising on top of that, then we can look at that. But we've never had to really, never really had to worry about that.
0: That's awesome, dude. I'm guessing there's going to be a lot of people listening who are spending a significant chunk of their income on Google ads or Facebook ads or whatever, thinking, damn it, I want to be able to do that for my business. So as well as just kind of picking up the organic shares that you get from the people who are in the room, and I'm guessing it might help that you're running a content marketing seminar. So the people who are there are going to be, you know, bloggers and content marketing. Yeah, sure. What did you guys do specifically any of the stuff that you've done with content marketing to to raise awareness of the event, if you like? Yeah, I mean, we've
1: done quite a lot. there's a, there's actually a kind of there's a really significant thing that's uh, had a big impact on the growth that we've had or the ticket sales that we've been able to to, to, to stick the tickets that we've been able to sell. And that's the oversubscribed model. We basically burned through uh, oversubscribed by Daniel Priestley and we implemented his strategies as soon as we read that book so we're going back 18 months or something like or 2 years maybe and every single live event we do gets the oversubscribed model like applied to it right so so outside of the content marketing outside of all the social stuff and things like that we've actually got you know staged releases we've got deadlines we've got capacity we've got you know countdowns you know things like that where people are there's a sense of urgency around buying your tickets. so that led to us selling 100 tickets in 20 days for our event a year in advance, right? So we're able to take advantage. That's another good marketing point actually, is when people are elated when they've had a good experience, best time to offer them something is when they've just had a great experience with you and then give them a deadline on, on when to buy that ticket. So it's price discounts on their own aren't as good as having something that's also got a deadline and a capacity associated with it. So that might be, we've only got hundred tickets at this price for the next 20 days. And if you don't buy your ticket by then, the ticket sales are going to close and you'll have to pay the, the, whatever the price is after that. So the oversubscribe model, that's a real summary there, but the oversubscribe model has been fundamental in the success of creating a sense of urgency around our actual sales. So that aside, that's the campaign. But content marketing is something that's, that just drips through everything that we do. Obviously, I mean, we're, we've got our heart on our sleeve when it comes to content marketing. It's in the business name. You know? So we do practice what we preach. You know, like there's a lot of things in there like one of the one of the most significant things I think we do is we blog about stuff to do with live events you know like how to network at live events and how to dominate Twitter at live events and how to how to save money at live events. you know we've done like 19 ways to save money at live events. We've done how much does it cost to run a conference. Um, that's off the top of my head. there's loads of things how to network at a conference you know like loads of content that really supports people in the live event so when they're in like deciding to buy a ticket for a live event, having a great experience at a live event and what to do after the live event. Even had people say things like, I think I've done content on why, is, why are live events so expensive? You know, because people are asking that. Why are they so expensive? Why are they hundreds and hundreds of pounds? You know, so I've got to, people are asking that question. It's my duty, my responsibility to answer that question. So there'll be Facebook live videos, there'll be blog articles, there'll be YouTube videos about those questions that people are asking. We try to do as much on the, our content has to be really focused on what our prospective customers and customers are asking. And I think that's that's really given us a lot of content to use across all our live events. It's really evergreen as well. Like any live event, we use it every single year in different formats. We'll change some stuff, strengthen some stuff, improve some stuff. And we've got people actually copying us as well now. And they're doing their live event in the UK. They're taking their, our ideas and making, making them their own for their own content. So they've kind of pulled in from what we're doing and saying, that's a great way to market a live event. That's really the content strategy has been around. They ask, we answer philosophy. And it's really listening to our customers and the challenges that are having even and, and, and taking on the sort of awkward questions as well. Like why is it so expensive? Or do I have to buy a ticket for this year? And we will say, well, you don't have to buy a ticket for this year. In fact, if you're strapped for cash, then save your money and get the early birds when we announce them next year. So I'm always thinking long-term. I'm not trying to push people into buying now. I want them to come when they're ready and be the right person for the room. Does that make sense? I don't want someone to come along. It's like buyer's remorse, isn't it? If they feel guilty about the money they're spending, and then they don't have such a great time, and then they don't talk about it afterwards and they never come back. So I'm seeing a big part of my own philosophy is seeing the longer term and haven't, trying to build customers that want to be with us forever.
0: That's awesome. I I want to ask you about how you use the content from the event itself, because one of the things that when we ran our first seminars, I kind of didn't really anticipate. But once you finish the seminar, you've got the recordings and then you can break up that content and use it in all sorts of ways. You can sell products and stuff like that. So did you guys use any of the content from the event in the marketing of next year's event?
1: Yeah, the best thing to do is to wind back a year ago because we're still, we've got all the content from this year, but we haven't started even marketing next year yet, really. Um, So we've still got to do all of that. So it'll be like um, the designers got a job to do at some point to do quote images. So we'll take photographers and videographers there this year and the year before, and they'll take the pictures and create quote images. So we had someone, one of the things, actually, I keep forgetting to mention this when people ask me this, but we had someone in the back of our event for two whole days that only did social media. Her job, Hannah's job, was to market to the people that weren't there. That was our only strategy, like was just... The people that you are talking to right now on social media are people that aren't here. So those people need to feel like they've missed out and they want tickets for next year. That was a I, 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 keep, I always forget that that was happening for two old, two old days. She just sat there and did social media, and um, she would do quote images. So taking she would get pictures from the photographer. She would quote. She would create quote images, and they would go out on Instagram and Twitter and things like that. Um, we haven't, you know, to be totally honest with you, the videos that we get from our seminars go, because we're on a membership organization, they go into the, you know, they go into the vault or into the portal for our members to access, you know, they can either rewatch them, or if they didn't make it this year, they can obviously go in and watch the, each of the talks that we have, because we had 16 speakers this year. And I've never really had a progressive chat with a speaker that wants their content to be shared publicly from a keynote presentation, for example, because usually it's their it's their main IP and it's the thing they get paid for. So um, we we protect that content and really just use it we actually use it to sell membership as well. So after the event, if people want to see the see the videos again, they can pay to be a member and then they can get immediate access to to the content. So I think last year we tried to sell the videos as a separate product and it didn't work. We're not really sure why, but we kind of felt that maybe it's because people are into this sort of mode of thinking that they can just get in. it. Like if it, when it comes to video content, they can just get it. You know, that's you know, if you want to see something on YouTube or you can watch something on Netflix anytime. Um, and I felt like there was a bit of a mentality around that that people weren't really willing to pay for access to something. So we just we just wound it up into the into the membership. So when you pay for, to be a member, which is about which is about five hundred pounds a year, you that's part of the deal. Right. You get access to all our seminars for the last three or four years.
0: Got it. So you use it kind of more like an add-on to the membership, which they'd be buying anyway. Exactly. So the right. thing
1: that we're really selling, the long-term sale, is to get somebody to become a member. You know, that's really that's the great thing about having continuity in our business is that once the event's over, there's still three or four things that they could actually go ahead and buy. One of them being a ticket for next year, but the other thing is becoming a member. And then when they become a member, they might want to upgrade and do like a twelve-week coaching program or they might want to um, join us at one of our other live events, you know, for example.
0: Got it. Got it. Perfect. I'm, I'm really interested in the the person that you had at the back doing social media. So what was what was her goal? I know her goal was to market to the people who aren't there, but she was doing quote images. I'm guessing she was tweeting to attendees who are using the hashtags. Like what, what was her kind of minute by minute activity?
1: <laughs> right. OK, so Hannah uh, has worked for me for a while. She's done this stuff for a couple of years now. And yeah, like I said, our strategy is to market to the people that aren't there. And she would be like kind of like managing the social. We have like at the event we use Everwall, which is really a tweet wall. I think it used to be called Tweetwall. It's now called Everwall. And there would be like, there's obviously a competition in the room about who can have the most retweeted tweets. And uh, she'd feed that. She'd be feeding that all the time. So photographs would be going out. She'd be retweeting other people. We've got the hashtag, obviously. She's kind of monitoring that using Hootsuite. Um, but our activity is using Canva, quotes, pictures, Instagram and Twitter being the main ones and really just managing that whole thing for for two days. She literally sat at the table for two whole days and just did social media. So, yeah, the kind of systems that she's using are are Hootsuite and Canva kind of working together there.
0: Absolutely love that. That's such a good idea. It isn't
1: even that expensive, really, when you when you really when you when you package it up until like an hourly rate for someone to sit there for two days and do it, it's not. A huge expense but it's massively massively valuable did
0: you find that it got you much visibility outside of the crowd that you'd normally be visible with or were you just going
1: for people who are already following you just kind of giving them some extra you know i don't have anything like like solid on the data all i know is that it works in terms of the people like there's you'll you'll know this to be true as well when you do a live event and it's say say your live events 500 pounds right for sake of argument there'll be people that are like, oh, I'm not sure, just just really sort of like come across CMA and Chris. And I'm not entirely sure if it's something I want to be at. Um, I'm not sure it's going to be right for me or not. And they'll be on the fence essentially, right? And then what they'll do is they will follow on Twitter and they'll want to see if we delivered on what we said we were going to deliver on. And we need to show them that we did it. We need to be seen to be doing the thing that we said we were going to do. And that gets people off the fence. And then when we when there's another thing, kind of thing happening underneath all of this as well, a part of our strategy is that about three weeks before CME Live 17, I announced the waiting list for CME Live 18. Right. So people that are either not coming to 17 or are coming to 17 and want to come to 18 are adding their names to a waiting list just to know when the CME Live 18 tickets are going on sale. And that happens about three weeks before the event. So Hannah's sending this waiting list out on the tweets. It's on our blogs, it's on it's all over social. And we're building up like 100, 150 people onto that waiting list that want to know as soon as the tickets go out on. And we, we sell the tickets for the next year, halfway through the final day of our conference. And that's another part of the strategy is to advertise that waiting list. So we're constantly building. You know, it's just a constant build of becoming what we call oversubscribed, but it's just a constant build of your audience all the time. So we're always marketing something. We're always trying to sell something. And the waiting list is just like, a, a it's one of those tricks that has changed not only my business, but other people's businesses as well. Because when you get people to opt into a waiting list, they might only be 25% committed to buying, but they're on the waiting list. And it just gives you so much power. You're not even selling to them after that. You're like, oh, you joined the waiting list? Well, I told you that I'll tell you when the tickets are going live, here they are. you know, And you just place it in front of them and it leads to more sales. It leads to people buying from you all at once so that's another part of like the whole the the layers that are happening there is that although hannah's doing social and she's managing that whole thing across multiple platforms underneath all of that there's this build of this waiting list or this build of this audience so that when we hit the green light on when the tickets go live for next year we've got a group of people there that are already said that they want to buy it
0: i love it and and joining the waiting list is such a low risk low commitment call to action so it's not like you're saying you know, buy a ticket right now, it's like, a, it's a level underneath that, isn't it? It's They're just so... registering interest. They can watch the tweets coming in, seeing other people having a great time. And then when when you're in that peak moment, when the maximum number of tweets
1: are going on, then you say, right now, tickets are open for next year. Exactly. That's exactly it. And it's like you said, the low commitment is the, is the trick. And if you do it right, if you're the right types of software, and you're doing it by, like, for example, through email marketing, you can have them click a link and they. And they're automatically join the waiting list. You know, you can have it so it's just so frictionless. They don't even have to do anything. It's brilliant. The waiting list is just the the biggest. It's one of the this one of the things that have been significant in how we do absolutely everything now. We'll start it mean it also means you can market a, an event before you even have like a venue. You can write out to your list and say, <laughs> We're thinking about doing an event maybe in October. You know, it's going to be about this sort of stuff. You know, if you if this is something that you feel like you would benefit from, click here add yourself to the waiting list. But you don't need anything, you just need an idea. And then all of a sudden, you've got people opting into something that's just an idea. And then you can establish whether it's a good idea or not. You're like, actually, you no, know I've got 100 people on this list now. And we really only have 40 places. We are officially oversubscribed. You know, we've got 100 people interested, 40 places. Gives you so much power and confidence when it comes to selling out your live events. And that's the one biggest challenge. Back to one of your first questions was, how do you fill out a live event? And a lot of people struggle when they put live events on to get half the people in the room you know, and I think this comes down to this longer term build, you're, you know, you're building this oversubscription all the time, Ye- event after event, campaign after campaign, year after year, you're just constantly building the interest list to the point where you will sell out your event and um, you'll be able to, you know, put the prices up, you'll be able to make more profit. And it's about, it's massively about seeing the, the longer term play.
0: Yeah, completely agree. So I, I'm just curious, you you mentioned kind of selling people to coming. And when we had a thing, I, I realized that actually, we had to, we had to, even if someone had bought the ticket, we had to sell them on attending. Yeah, because just because they bought a ticket, particularly if it's a long time in advance, didn't necessarily mean they were going to show up. And if they didn't show, don't show up, that's no good. So without asking you to share any in-depth numbers or anything, like, how do you find that process to be? And what are your what are your tips for getting people to commit to to attending the event they've got a ticket for
1: yeah I'm glad you brought that up because it was on my mind there and and uh, I thought it'd be good good to talk about that too you know what a massive this is like a massive obsession of mine even when it goes like even back to workshops that we sell for like 47 pounds or whatever like low risk ones 47 pounds and then go back even further than that we used to do free meetups for about a year I used to do 10 pound workshops when I was like really just starting out and building an audience and I was obsessed with this. Like if, if it rains outside, these people aren't coming, right? Because the £10 isn't a huge risk, right? So and and even getting people to come to something for free is hard work because they're like, well, it's time out for my children. I've been at work all day and it's raining outside and the traffic's busy. You know, there's so many reasons why someone won't come. And I think from the very start of me putting on live events for my own business, that's always been a part of how I do things, Tim. So I am massively conscious about it. So even leading up to this year, if a ticket's say £500, you think to yourself, they're going to come. They're going to come. But that's actually two days out of their business. There's flights and travel and there's accommodation. There could be another £1,000 just in costs alone to come to your event. Is it worth uh, saving that £1,000 and not going? Or is it worth spending £1,000 and going? I always think to myself, how can I do more to really get them to the event? So I totally think this is like, This is something that anyone that runs an event should be thinking of is like, you've got to sell them on attending, like you said, Tim, absolutely. So we do, we do like a countdown up to the event. So there's like a whole email sequence that goes out about 10 or 12 days in advance. They'll get an email every single day. The speakers travel things to do in Edinburgh. Um, I don't know, whatever, how to dominate Twitter. We'll use our content marketing in the emails going out to count right down to the day, get them massively excited. We'll do countdowns on social media. I'll be doing lots of Facebook live videos, podcasts, that sort of thing. I am, I, I honestly still think to this day, even I think we'll always think like this, even as the ticket price goes up, it makes no difference. You've got to sell them on actually coming. It's so important. So you have to do something around there. There's another piece of marketing that needs to be done to sell them on actually being there on the day,
0: it's very true. Exactly the same goes for webinars or, or pretty much anything where there's a there's a thing that happens at a particular time, isn't it? The job is not done when you convert that person. The job is done when they're actually
1: sat there in front of you, and until they're there, you've got to keep plowing away. Exactly. Just unpacking it with you right now. There's like so much, but I think there, I think you're <laughs> going to want to say to you know for people that are listening. If, This is something that we've built up over years. You know, we this is, and it's also my business. My business is membership and live events. You know, we just curate, say simply, but curating talent and curating content and really pulling people together, either in person or online. That's what my job is. So, like, I spend a lot of time doing the stuff for our live event, and it might be that you don't have the same amount of time as me, or you're thinking to yourself that sounds like a lot. It is a lot, but it didn't start like that. We've made tons of mistakes. We've, you know, we've we've done things we've changed things. We've improved things. We've got better at certain things. So I think like, don't, you've got to look at why I think it's important to think to yourself, why am I doing this live event? What's important? Why is it, how's it going to build my business? Is it something that I absolutely need to do? But for, for me, it's always been in me. Like I said, at the start, it's like it's something I've always enjoyed. So it's relatively like, I don't even need to make a decision in my head whether I want to do it or not. I definitely want to do it. The key thing is, is for all of us to think, how does it build our business? How does it generate customers? How does it generate revenue, and how does it generate a profit?
0: That's that's awesome. Okay, so we we we've talked about events. The other part of your business is the membership, and I know a lot of listeners are, if, even if they're not running memberships yet, they're very keen on the idea because it is a very appealing business model, as you know. So maybe we could we could talk about that for a bit. And uh, I want to ask you how you made the decision to transition from a content marketing agency or like a done-for-you service to more of a membership site?
1: Yeah. So I think the key thing here is that regardless of how I've done it, the key thing to recognize of what we've done is try to get smarter, right? That's really, when you kind of break it all down, the business has been around, we're in our fifth year now. And what we've wanted to do over time is just get better at it, be better business people, be better at it. And part of that was recognizing that we weren't really that good at the client agency side. Right, so it just there was a lot of headaches. there were a lot of problems with clients' deadlines, losing sleep, chasing money, getting paid, convincing people every single month that they wanted to buy for a month. You know, there was always just a headache with it. And um, I think that I was standing at my desk one day in the office where I am right now, actually. And I was writing content, like writing content for other people. And I was like, this is not changing the world, right? They don't even, they don't (laughs) care about this blog article that I'm writing. They just want content on their website, traffic, inquiry, sales. They don't care if it's content marketing or if I paid people on the street to walk in they're not bothered. And I was like, I don't want to work with people. I want to work with people, sorry, to a more positive spin on this. I want to work with people <laughs> that, that actually get this, that understand at the core that this is how they're going to build their business. And I was like, the only way for me to do this is to switch from the person that does the content to someone that teaches it. right? So there's a, a, a little bit of a quite a distinct shift between you know doing it and then teaching it. And that's what really my job, my job role is, is to you know, curate the content, but also teach people and coach people, I guess you could say, but people call me a teacher to help them to be better at this. So that could be business owners, it could be um, in-house marketers. That's usually the two we have entrepreneurs, business owners, and uh, and in-house marketers to teach them how to do it. So that transition for me was, there's a lot in there, but really this happened almost a year ago, the, the actual transition, and we'd been building up And I mentioned meetups and workshops and the event and stuff like that. That's all happening on the sideline, right? There's like two tracks almost. We've got this event side of our business and we're building up an audience there. And then I've got the client side. And over time, what happened was is the whole audience started to build around us in our event and what we were doing there. And as that built up, I started to monetize it. So we started to look at how could we get people to subscribe to something. First of all, we started off with a six month subscription and we did in-person events for six months, like on an actual course. And then we got, once we'd done that twice, we actually started to say, we, we got them to sign up for something for a month, every month forever and get them into our membership. And as that built up, we just we just didn't replace our clients as they were dropping off in the client agency side, as other projects were coming to an end or as our clients decided they didn't want to work with us anymore, or we decided they didn't want to work with them, we just didn't replace them. And it was about October last year that we managed to make the shift from a client services agent, uh, agency type of business to a membership organization. And I have to say, it took me a couple of months just to really reset myself. I was like, this is an entirely different business. I mean, it doesn't sound like one, but it is completely different. Everything from the time, how I spend my time, To the kind of work that I do, when I do it, how I do it, and what people expect from me, and um, the money that we're making. Like everything's changed and all for the better as well. It has changed everything for the better. So, you know, I think it's important though to recognize that the client services agency business type thing, type arrangement, business model actually wasn't working for me. You know, I didn't like it. And therefore, I want to change. But I think about four or five years ago, when I was at university, I studied entrepreneurship there. And one of the business models that I created there was a membership business. And it's funny, you know, looking back on that, that it took me about three years to really come kind of full circle, you know, uh, to come back to and say, actually, you know what, it is time to put this membership business into place now because we have got an audience now. People do know us. We have established ourselves. And I think that people will want this now. So there's a there's a lot in there, but it's it's been a it's been an interesting transition, and it's changed everything about how I how I do business.
0: It's one of the things that people consistently say. We had Andrew and Pete on the show. Um, I don't know if you know them. But they run a content marketing membership, and we had a guy from Pretty Savvy Club, which is a massive kind of horsemanship membership in, in the US. And one of the things that they say about the membership model that they absolutely love is that rather than like you say, working on that client's piece of content or whatever, they're able to teach a skill which thousands of people can can work on. And you spending that time teaching someone how to do it takes the same amount of time. But the impact that you've had is so much greater than doing it specifically for just one person. So I guess there's also a, you mentioned you're not changing the world. Well, actually, with the membership, you can feel like you, you are changing the world significantly more.
1: Yeah, you've got much greater impact. It's the one to any model. Absolutely. I mean, you're you're teaching them how to do stuff for themselves and to be honest with you we've got like we're about a year into like full time membership and we've got people in the in the CMA now that are better content marketers than I am they are doing so the content they're creating is um, is really really good and it's changing their businesses like they're making their own money on their own terms without spending any money on advertising and they're starting to see that this thing works and it's just it creates enthusiasm. You know, they love their business. You know, some people come to us and they're miserable and then we can make them happy again because they're, you know, they're making sales and they're getting customers and all the rest of it. And uh, yeah, I absolutely agree with the, with the, with the sentiment that you, as a membership owner, you are able to have a much greater impact on businesses and obviously across the globe as well. You know, you can do it, uh, most of it's online, so it's all over the world
0: and and you're using content marketing to to grow your membership as well aren't you so what are some of your most effective member acquisition strategies okay um the million dollar question
1: yeah yeah so like <laughs> we we've tried a few different things like i think it's important to recognize that we are not yet a year into full time membership organization right so the first thing we had had was you could buy any time, right? You could go onto our website and you could just click to buy a membership. And what we did was we removed that and added a waiting list, right? So you have to join a waiting list to until a spot opens up for you. And that changed that's changed everything about how we even market, go to market with our membership. So we've got people adding themselves to the waiting list every day. Because the people on our website, are like, oh yeah, I'll well, add myself to the waiting list, see what happens. Again, it's that softer commitment. And then what we do is we create a sense of urgency inside an email uh, sequences to help them make a decision whether they want to join or not. And uh, we open up spaces every now and again for them to join. And it works really, really well for me. So we're trying to work towards having our sales, what you've called it, customer acquisition on automation. We want to get that automated so that I can spend, and and there's a good reason for it. And it's so I can spend more time with the actual members that we do have. You know, that's where the real value is. So... You know, Some people listening might be like, oh, it's just a tactical internet marketing type thing. I cannot identify with a lot of the internet marketing tactics that are out there. I just want to run a really good business. And if that means I have to do certain things in a way that um, allows me to automate some stuff like sales, for example, just so it can give me more time to focus on the members that we have, then that's what we'll do. We've tried two different strategies in terms of acquisition. It's kind of like a mini insight into it, but I'm almost certain that we'll try a lot more in the future. And we'll get better at it as well. I mean, we were being coached by James Shramco just now in order to kind of like build this out. He's been amazing for us this year in terms of uh, helping us with strategies and the membership guys as well. And Mike and Callie in Newcastle, they've helped us a lot in terms of the platforms and thinking about customer, the customer services, the, the way that we deliver customer service within the membership, you know, and the customer experience is important too. There's a lot too. I mean, a lot of people think it's a great, it is a great business model, uh, Tim, but there's, it's like, It's still a lot of hard work. You know, you're still working a lot and you're working hard. It's a different type of hard work, but you are working a lot anyway to try and build out your model and make it better all the time. So it's really interesting, though. I love it.
0: One of the things that I know the membership guys talk about a lot is a lot of people coming into the content uh, sorry, the membership site model think, I'm just going to do the work once and then I'm just going to sit back or go to the beach and it's just going to be passive income, forever. that that phrase passive income, which is just the death of many business ideas, is it's really not that at all, is it? It's brutally hard work. You've you've got like a field full of babies that you've got to keep happy. It's it's not just set and forget.
1: Exactly. So there's a difference between the word passive and the word recurring. Those are the two words that get mixed up a lot. Yeah. It's like passive income is something that you will make. Like that's like having like royalties, like, like you've sold a record or you've sold an album and you just get paid forever, like Beatles or something. And recurring is the ability to have a recurring subscription. So that's what a membership business is. Set and forget is not. It's, it's just that it's, it's a, it's it's, it's lies. <laughs> Don't listen to people yeah. <laughs> telling you that. The great thing about though, to be honest with you, lifestyle wise, though, the great thing about having a membership is that unless you've told your members to when to expect something they're not really expecting it. So if you're really good at, this is something I've had to get used to over the years, because usually when you're running a client services business, you're usually running pretty ragged deadlines, client, you know, something might go wrong or whatever. But when you're running a membership organization, you do have choices. So I take most of a Wednesday off and I take all day Sunday off, Like right? that's two days a week off. I mean, I don't know anybody else that manages that and this runs their own business. And I can also take, like, I only take calls in the afternoon. I don't take any calls during the day at all, only between half three and five, Monday to Thursday. So I have all my mornings to write and to create or sleep or whatever I want. And if I say to my members, like, we're going to do this, then I have to absolutely make sure that I turn up and do it. So I have a lot, like every deadline is imposed usually by me. You can start to create a lifestyle for yourself, but you're only busy because you're busy, if that makes sense. You've made the choice to be busy at that time. So although it's a lot of hard work, it's kind of hard work on your terms, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, totally makes sense. So I'm guessing that you've got a fairly significant team behind the the Content Marketing Academy helping you run the kind of day-to-day operations of the uh, membership site.
1: Surprisingly, no, we don't. So this is something that we're building out, though. We've got, I have one employee and her, her name's Kim and she does all my books for me. Right. So that's one of the things when you do have a membership organization and you're running live events, you get hundreds of transactions. So you need somebody to deal with all of that. And then I use freelancers for a lot of my projects. So like, I'll give you a couple of examples of this. We we're out on site filming case studies yesterday. I hired a video, a videographer, freelancer to help me with that. But he was, he's a CMA member. I've also got a CMA member that helps me in the background 10 hours a week to do business management. And she, you know, she's a CMA member. I'm spend, I spend money in with the members as well, typically. I will hire, uh, I've hired a website developer to do two websites for us this year, who's also a CMA member, and we'll spend, you know, five or six thousand pounds with him. And then we've got, you know, so long story short, I am very much a sort of project management role where I'm picking out the skills that I need and then using a freelancer's team. So I've got two graphic designers, for example, website developer, business manager, and the only employee I have is the bookkeeper. Yeah.
0: A life of simplicity. Yeah. And the (laughs) the
1: challenge though, this is a real challenge of mine is that can I build, can I build a seven figure business without a team, an actual team, without having employees, without having to worry about HR and sickness and holiday and all the crap that goes with having a team and not an agency. Remember, this is like, I've got to break out of this, this like normal way of thinking, you know, and think to myself, well, what kind of business do I want to run and where do I want to run it from and how much money do I want to make and how much time do I want to have and What am I really building here? So it's like a non traditional thinking. It's taken me time to figure that out. I mean, 35 years old, worked in a larger organization for 10 years. So to break out of that into a different mindset has been difficult, even for me. I have to set myself distinct challenges. And one of them is, you know, like, for example, one of them before was how can I build my business without spending a single penny on advertising? Is it possible for me to build a business without having a single employee? I think that makes business interesting.
0: It sure does. It's kind of Tim Ferriss's lifestyle design, isn't it? Starting from what do you want it to look like first, and then w- reverse engineering what it needs to be yes. in order to serve you with your criteria. Exactly.
1: We can all be busy, right? We can all be busy, 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 busy all the time. Doing what? Who knows? I think uh, <laughs> I think I've been like that, I've been a busy fool for years. I think I've now got to the time where I've got. I'm in a position now where I'm really in control. It's it's am- it's, it's unbelievable. Well, here's the control over our own
0: time. Chris, this has been absolutely awesome. Thank you for taking us behind the scenes of CMA from the event and also the membership site. How can people find out more about the event?
1: Obviously, sign up for the waiting list and check out the membership. <laughs> sign up for the waiting list. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, if anyone's got a question and they want to pick my brain about something or like I didn't, something wasn't clear, the best place to, to get me is on Twitter at Chris Marr. 101 and it's at Mar 101 on on pretty much every platform you can get me there or you can email me if you want to talk to me privately chris at cmauk.co.uk and you you know um, answer all my emails and very much encourage people to get in touch thanks for having me nice one chris and thank you everyone for listening